Outstanding. Welcome, everybody. It is Friday, July 31st. This is our 20th installment of Shelter in Place SIP. Happy birthday to my sister, Sue, out in Colorado. That was an unprompted uh, part of the agenda. Uh, but she turns, it's the celebration of some special birthday today, but we're not going to say a number. Uh, she's older than I am, though. But um, I digress. So let's focus on why we're here. We're here because we're going to enjoy some spectacular wine. Uh, some very, very serious wine without taking ourselves very seriously. I know there's going to be a bunch of people <laughs> jumping in. Jeff and Jane Greasy are here already uh, on the button. Uh, Laura, just so you know, Jeff and Jane have not missed a single episode of SIP in 20 weeks. So uh, we are absolutely thrilled for all of for the people that are going to join us like Jeff and Jane. Uh, and for those of you that this might be a first time, Cellar Angels, a privately held direct-to-consumer company focusing exclusively on Napa and Sonoma wineries and bringing the best wines to your door with proceeds to charity. So I have the privilege and honor of introducing you today to Laura Barrett, the winemaker of Cliff Family Wines. And without further ado, I am going to say hello and raise a glass to Laura, who has taken time out from monitoring the vineyards to spend a little time with us today. So cheers to you, Laura. Cheers to you. Thank you for having me. Drink Absolutely. Yeah, you have to take a sip. It's Friday at five, so. <laughs> Friday at five, exactly. Uh, so for, for people that are familiar with Cellar Angels and familiar with Cliff, uh, the winery to me is fascinating uh, because it blends a, a whole bunch of different ingredients from lifestyle, from um, sustainability, from community, and, and I didn't know anything about the winery until I read a book. Actually, I didn't know anything about Cliff uh, until I read a book in 2005 called Small Giants. Now, you are probably familiar with the, the book. It's a book by uh, Bo Burlingham. And Bo wrote an expose on companies that were growing but decided not to go public or not to be acquired because they were doing some amazing things. And, and Gary Erickson, the founder of Cliff Bar, had an opportunity uh, the, the revenues for the company were $39 million in revenue, and he was about to be acquired uh, for over $100 million. And he had to take a long, deep breath as he was sitting in the room with the attorneys to sign the paperwork and determine whether or not he wanted to do this. Now, if, if put yourself in that position where, holy cow, I could sell the company for $110 million, and took a walk around the block, came back in and said, I'm not doing it because... Uh, he wanted to main, he didn't think it was a bad thing. We're, we're doing fantastic. We're providing education for our employees and their children. We're giving them advancement opportunities. We're doing great with the community. And that was my first exposure to Cliff Bar, if you will, uh, back in 2005. And then shortly thereafter, I became familiar with the winery where you now are the winemaker. So I'm, I'm curious, how did you actually become familiar with the winery and, and, land here to be the winemaker at such a prestigious place? Yeah, that's a great question and a great place to start. Um, I always knew about Cliff Family Winery. I think at the, at the time that I was familiar with it, it was always Cliff Bar Family Winery. So the bar piece was associated with, uh, with the name and the, and the identity of the winery. Um, but I was busy doing other things. I was early in my career. Um, I started in the wine business in 2003 as an assistant winemaker and kind of grew into a winemaking job. Um, and then it was kind of a 
late in my, later in my career, after I had been a winemaker for about six or seven years, I was looking to do something different. I had been working with fruit outside of the Napa Valley and I wanted to get my hands on better fruit, um, a more local company and a real Napa estate. So um, I met Lindsay Gay, the general manager, literally by, well, I actually met her husband by the poolside at our kids swim lessons. That's kind of where, <laughs> where we connected, which is hilarious because very, my life is very much, you know, interwoven between family, especially now, and work and professionalism and, and everything. Um, so I connected with Lindsay, and uh, they were looking to make a change. You know, they had um, they had a, a really great history of winemaking, um, but were ready to really take it to the next level. They had changed their business model so that they were making large, larger quantities of lower price point wines and just a couple of them. It was like the climber red and the climber white. Um, and they had changed their business model to make more boutique um, offerings, smaller quantities. They opened the tasting room and they were ready for a full-time winemaker in the past. They had had consultants. Um, and so I came on um, in November of 2014. And so it was after. Harvest. Yeah, after harvest and um, a really interesting time to start a winemaking job because you're yeah. inheriting, you know, a, a, a new vintage. Um, so you, you got to the valley in 04, is that accurate? Um, I got to the valley in 01 as a, 01. Student, as a student. So I, I came to go to UC Davis as my graduate program. Okay. And I worked uh, they, harvest jobs. Yeah. Yeah, UC Davis, I, I think they've produced a few people in the wine industry. Yeah, just, just a few. Just a few good ones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, so you came to UC Davis in 01. Hello to Julie Fogarty, Kim Vance. Kim Vance, I don't know if you know Kim, Laura. She's another winemaker that uh, will be on SIP in August. So we uh, corralled her, much to her resistance. But Kim, you will be fine. Uh, and also Sean and Marilyn Manning in Colorado. Cheers to everyone. So you come to O1 to, to do a program at Davis, and, and you left, if I believe, the, the Boston area at that point in time at 18 years of age. Yeah, I left Boston to go to college. I went to the University of Vermont, where I studied chemistry. So I kind of left home to go to college, and I, I obviously I came back, but only maybe for a summer here or a summer there or a, you know, a chance to live with mom and earn some money and gear up for the next adventure. Um, but yeah, so I left Boston, um, went, spent four years at the University of Vermont, and then decided to do some traveling, which is where I got the wine interest. Um, I was always interested in fermentation science. I studied chemistry, and I wanted to know how things were made. I was, I was curious exactly how things came to be. You know, I, didn't, I wanted to know the actual science behind winemaking. Uh, I didn't come from a family that drank wine. Uh, my interest in the wine business really stemmed from the academic piece and fermentation science. So it, it, when I decided to pursue that. It's funny because uh, that's impressive because I'm not even sure I was familiar with the phrase fermentation science until about five years ago. So the fact that you did this out of college, I, I, do, I do appreciate the chemistry slant obviously in winemaking, and is that still something that really kind of resonates with you from a formulaic standpoint and the chemistry and everything that's happening? It definitely interests me, and I, I always describe my application of science to my winemaking as um, 
you know, you know, putting out fires and understanding problems. So when there's this, when there's a crisis in the winery, or I have a fermentation that I can't quite figure out, that's really when the science plays in. Okay. After all this time, experience and um, intuition and understanding the vineyard and flavor analysis probably takes priority in making decisions over science. But when there's a problem, it's the scientific knowledge that helps me fix it. Well, and. And I think that's a refreshing approach, quite honestly, versus more of the in the lab type of thing. And I, I want to get back to, to Cliff Family from an overall umbrella of, of businesses and philosophies. And, 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 I, and, and I also want you to tell us about Kit. So let me go there first, because I'm, I'm a little bit familiar with Gary, uh, the, the passion with regards to the business, with regards to fantastic nutrition of cliff bar and those sorts of things and, and the wholesomeness and the ingredient sourcing but i don't know anything about kit other than uh some culinary aspects so please educate us on, on that combination and the contribution that she actually brings to the winery as well sure yeah so kit and gary are the co-founders and co-owners of uh, cliff bar and company um, and they started together the winery in 2004 um, they were living in the Napa Valley. So they purchased a home on Howell Mountain, and that is currently where our uh, certified organic farm and our uh, estate Zinfandel Vineyard uh, is located. Okay. Kit is, and Kit loves gardening, um, and she is a true believer in her people, her business, um, the planet, and sustainability. So I would say a lot of the motivation and drive that I feel that resonates through the company really comes from her passion and her commitment to those things. Um, she's always talking about uh, kind of the five aspirations that are the founding principles of Cliff Bar and Company um, and carrying those aspirations into the winery. They really, they, they really are instilled in her as a person. Um, she's an amazing woman, leader, uh, role model, um, and owner of the winery. They're fantastic people. Yeah, one of these days I'm going to have to meet both of them. So when we can travel and get out to the valley, let's figure out a way to do that. Uh, for those of you that are now joining, and I see Caitlin Greasy. Hello, young lady. Thanks for joining us. Uh, everyone always asks throughout the week, how are people drinking this wine in advance? And how do they get the wines? And I'm going to show you exactly how they get the wines because they go to the... They go to the website and they go to the custom collection. So the shelter in place sip virtual tasting kit is designed that if you were to order it over this weekend, you would have it not next Friday, depending upon what state you're in, you possibly could, but the Friday after that. And it will have the next six consecutive Friday wines from every winemaker that we are going to feature in the next six weeks. And we have people that routinely re-up their order because once those six are gone, they need to get six more. So this is something that you can actually grab right now. Uh, we can drop a link into the, into the chat bar on both Facebook and Zoom and, and take care of that. And then if you scroll down a little bit further, you can actually see the wine that we're drinking this evening, uh, the Cliff Family 2017 Zinfandel. Uh, and because everything has worked out flawlessly, today is July 31st. And so the, the text of the website is accurate. I can't say that that happens 100% of the time uh, because technology, we know wine. We know wine and giving. Technology is sometimes our Achilles heel. Uh, so that's how people are getting the wine. And it's very, very easy to do. 
Um, as I mentioned at the top of the broadcast, privately held, direct-to-consumer company featuring the best of Napa and Sonoma, direct to you. Stay home, get some great wines, and don't forget to check a box and we give proceeds to charity. And we're learning tonight a little bit about Cliff Family. And, and, and there's the funniest thing is, to me, everyone that I've spoken with that knows it very, very well, knows it for its, its cycling to a degree. Mm -hmm. Uh, I am not a cycler, but I know one of our wine club members, Bill Best, is a big cycler. One of our advisory board members, uh, Brian Braymeyer, enormous cyclers, these guys. Uh, how does that whole lifestyle contribute to the philosophy of, of the Cliff Family Winery? So Kit and Gary will tell you, as will our back label, that Cliff Family Winery was kind of, uh, you know, born... And the idea, the idea stemmed from uh, Kit and Gary after a long day of cycling, huge climbs and huge mountain peaks in Europe and finishing the day with a great bottle of wine and an amazing meal. And that's where their drive and their interest in the wine business came from. Um, so cycling is a huge theme throughout everything that we do. Um, for example, if you look carefully at the front of our label, um, there is a bicycle um, cog and the chain. Oh. So some people don't really notice it. It's fairly subtle. <laughs> um, so it's, it's a it's a subtle theme throughout all of our marketing materials, but also um, it's really who who we are. We're about adventure, and um, we do bike packages at the tasting room, so you can call in advance and reserve a bicycle, which we partner with a local bike shop and they drop it off at the tasting room and you start your day with a cliff bar and a, a espresso. And then you wait, 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 so back up. So, so you can actually go onto the website and reserve a bicycle and do a tour through the winery? Well, it's not through the winery. We, it's, it's through wine country, so we give you okay. a have our own a couple of routes because as you can imagine we have all different levels of cyclists that come to us so the professionals want to know a hundred mile loop around the valley and the locals want to do kind of a cruiser tour up and down main street so we have um, uh, different routes that we highlight um, and then they come back and they do a wine tasting and then lunch off of that really beautiful green food truck that's behind your head right now <laughs> Uh, well, and, and then that just gets back to what we talked about earlier with regards to the passion for food, the, the passion for uh, people coming together, the passion for exercise. And, and, and I can, it's funny. I mean, I've never been on a scent on a bicycle in the Alps in Italy uh, ever. Don't, don't intend to. <laughs> I'm not the best cyclist, but I can, I can totally appreciate when you get done with a heavy day of exercise to just sit around, have a great bottle of wine, have some great food. And I think it's that real passion of community that is so personified with, with Cliff Family and kind of the imprint that you're putting on everything. The food truck is an example of that. When I'm in the tasting room and I encourage people to go to, to watch the Cellar Angels video where I get to the pleasure of interviewing you and, and that tasting room, all the ingredients that are sourced. I mean, it is just a wholesome, genuine experience. There's not an, a, a, a an ounce of pretense in any of it. And it, it, I think that is really kind of special. It is, it's meant to be very welcoming, um, very friendly. It's a very warm, but lively environment, our tasting room. Um, we often have the Tour de France on the TV behind the bar and we have, you know, really good coffee and we have, you know, amazing food, amazing hospitality. I mean, our people are so great at what they do. 
and, um, and, and then my job is to make many, many different varietals and do them all really well. So you might come and, and, and you're not going to stand at a tasting bar and, and try four Cabernets and two Chardonnays. You're going to have Rosé and Gewurztraminer and Sauvignon Blanc and a whole, you know, portfolio of red wines from light to red or light to darker red. Um, so we have a lot to offer and everything is really genuine. So whether we're talking about our products that are very genuine and, and um, you know, are farmed responsibly and, or you're talking about our people or the atmosphere, it's, it's all just really, really genuine. Um, and it feels good to be there and it feels good to be an employee as well. Well, and it's, I think genuine is a great adjective. I also think authentic is, is right up there as well, because as I mentioned, there's no pretense at all. And, and it is a fun place to be. And for those of you that actually have uh, tasted at, at Michael Trujillo's tasting room, uh, you could walk outside and actually literally walk right into their tasting room. And, and it's funny because I didn't know where you were until we did the filming and I've driven past 2000 times and you've got a nice little slice of heaven right there uh, because the outback area with the tasting uh, patio and stuff is fantastic but the food truck really makes it and it is a place where you can spend several hours right there in St. Helena. Definitely. And that's, that's part of what's nice about it is that you can really spend some time once you get the food piece in and the food and wine pairing, which we do a lot of. So there are people that come to us just hungry. They're here for the truck and they eat lunch and they go. And there are people that come to us who just want to taste um, and then have lunch afterwards. And then we mold the, t the two together and also do a lot of really great food and wine pairings, whether it's from a bruschetta off the truck or it's from one of our... Um, uh, kitchen items that we actually make from the farm. We do a whole host of sweet and savory jams. We make our own hot sauce. We have nuts and chocolates that we make because um, we do have a full-time executive chef who is very busy with not only uh, kind of managing what's coming from the farm and how it impacts the menu on the food truck and all of that takes a lot of advanced planning, um, but also designing flavor, new flavors for our nut mixes, um, how are we going to develop these chocolates to pair with our wine? So there's right. a whole host of food and wine pairing that, that uh, is involved in our program as well. Well, let's, let's talk about uh, this wine that we have in our glass this evening, 2017 Zinfandel. And before I go there, one important burning question has come up from cyclist Bill Best. And he is curious, do you have an e-bicycle that I could use? <laughs> I'm sure there's an e-bicycle in the basement somewhere the next time you, uh, you come visit. We'll, we'll yeah, that, that one has my name on it. Okay. So, so we have, we have I mean, seriously, I'm not even joking. I am all over the e-bicycle. It's, it's not a requirement to be a cyclist entering the building or even being an employee because I, I, I am not a cyclist either. I'm, I'm trying, but uh, it doesn't come naturally to me. So. No, I, I'm, I'm with you. So... The, the 2017 Gary's Improv Zinfandel that we're drinking, uh, yes. which, by the way, is, is fantastic. And I, I'm going to ask you a geeky question uh, or a, a geeky favor is give me kind of in the mind of a winemaker. So uh, tell me a little bit about the vineyard where this is. Tell me a little bit about the fruits and things, uh, the vines, you know, the complexity. Uh, walk me through and walk everyone through what you're after when you walk this vineyard and see this fruit and what you want people to kind of experience in the glass. 
Sure. Uh, this Zinfandel comes from Howell Mountain, and Howell Mountain is known for mainly for its Cabernet Sauvignon, but it also has some really, really special Zinfandel vineyards, although they're uh, becoming few and far between because of the kind of the, the popularity of Cab. Uh, but it's from the Beatty Ranch. So Mike Beatty um, has owned this property for many, many years. His son Patrick uh, does the day-to-day -day farming and is my contact. Um, and these vines, some of them are actually this particular um, vintage, 44%, are 103 years old. So they're those old, gnarly, head-trained um, vines that have that California sprawl where the, the, you know, they have those real thick um, trunks and they're beautiful and they are so very um, naturally balanced in how much fruit they set and they ripen really slow and the, the climate up there is actually just the perfect combination with these old vines. Well, and let me, I'm going to show people where the Beatty Ranch is. Uh, this is Jeff and Jane Greasy's favorite part. Hello, Barb Randall. How are you doing? And for those of you that were on, I don't know what week it was. Time is just kind of running together. But when we had John Phillips on from Inspiration, also with 100-plus-year-old Zinfandel vines, they are something special. So we're going to go way down into the Beatty Ranch. Now, the telltale sign, and I don't know what block you get, this is the Beatty household, and I can't remember what road this is. Okay. Uh, but there's, you can always tell the old Zinfandel blocks, right? Because uh, some of the vines yeah. are gone, yeah. uh, that sort of thing. And, and on top of Howell Mountain, there's, this is 2,000 feet. So this is up there. And um, these, these rows are, I'll zoom in a little bit more. You can see there's, there's a lot of missing vines. And, and as you talked about kind of these, these gnarly vines, and you, you're right, I mean, they are, they are fantastically romantic and uh, picturesque and, and by, by their crudeness, if you will. They aren't well, they just have this really uh, sprawling mentality to them that is just so fantastic. Uh, this is a very, very steep hill that might actually be easier to see in this picture So now this is a picture because longtime cellar angels will remember that we featured Hollow Mountain Vineyards as Zinfandel like seven years ago uh, and got to interview Mike Beatty on his ranch. And uh, to your point, Laura, you're right. They were one of the first earlier producers on Hollow Mountain. Um, but I don't know if this is your particular vineyard that you source from, but it, it's a special place up there. And I'm curious how you came to learn about it. What you, you mentioned that 40% of the vines are 103 years of age. So that right there is special. But when you, when you get to walk these vineyards, you know, what are you after? What do you hope to, to produce? I'm always fascinated in that science art discussion. Yeah, so these vineyards are, they, they, they're not hard to make wine from because they, they just produce the most delicious fruit and they really tell you when it's time to pick. I mean, it's usually really late. This is one of the last picks of, my, of the season. So they could age, you know, they could, they could ripen for a long period of time, but the rains come in and we just have to kind of, we have to pick because it's about to rain. Um, but what happens is what I'm looking for is that a Zinfandel berry is fairly plump. 
Um, so you're looking for a little bit of dehydration and I usually call it the golf ball effect where it starts to look like a, like a dimpled golf ball and it's just a yep. tiny bit of dehydration where you know you're getting really, really ripe seeds and um, you've lost a little bit of water so that you have good concentrated flavor. Um, and what's unique about this Zinfandel as opposed to other California Zinfandels, say on the valley floor, whether it be the Napa Valley or the Central Valley, is that it's pretty concentrated. So you get really great color, you get a decent amount of tannin, and Zinfandel can be a really light and fruity wine, um, depending on the site. This is not right. light and fruity Zinfandel. This is a big colored, deep, deeply colored, um, tannic, um, but it also has really great acidity, which I think is what makes this wine as special as it is and in, in how it tastes. Um, you don't lose your acid up on the hill because you're at 18, you know, between 18 and 1900 foot elevation at this particular site. So it holds on to its acidity and you taste it. So you get this nice tart backbone yeah. that allows this wine to age and pair well with food. So I'm, I'm just looking to get as much ripeness as possible out of these grapes before it rains because it's a late, slow ripening site. Um, I can never pick it before kind of early, you know, the second, first, second week in October. So just getting oh, wow. it that first rain because Zinfandel obviously is really sensitive to rot and in the field. So once it gets wet, like you're done. Um, well, and I, I think it's interesting because you mentioned slow ripening and uh, I will encourage everyone to check out the Verasian video that Laura was so kind enough to do for us because it's a perfect example uh, in a 90 second video of how things on the mountain ripen differently than on the valley floor. So Verasian obviously is, and I'll let you explain Verasian. Why am I doing that? Sure. Yeah, I was laughing because um, when Denise asked me to do the video and she was saying, I said, oh, well, what's the, um, what's the, the deadline? And she said, well, the deadline is just Verasian. And I was laughing to myself going, she has no clue. We've got three weeks to go. <laughs> exactly. Green up on the mountain. <laughs> anyway, veration is the point at which the grapes turn color. So both red grapes and white grapes start off as hard green berries. They're all the same color. And then when white grapes go through veration, they get, um, they get a little more translucent in color and they turn a little more golden if they're exposed to some sunlight. Um, and then obviously red grapes turn red. Uh, but more importantly, it's really the onset of ripening. So it's the point at which you begin to accumulate sugar and the grape softens. So, and it expands. So you start off as a smaller, more beady type green hard berry, and then it gets soft, it gets more plump, and it gets sweet. So yeah, it's a neat little process because uh, not only just the whole verasian process, where you're right, the, the initial berries are very hard. It's almost like frozen pea hardness. I mean, it, it is, there's nothing there there. And then as the, the growing cycle continues, and then you start having verasian, they get plumper, they get softer, the, the juice gets more concentrated. But I, I love the difference between the valley floor and Howell Mountain. I mean, the valley floor is 90% done with verasian right now, and you guys are like 10% done. Exactly. Exactly. There's a huge variation and you'll see that at harvest time too. They'll be picking these grapes, um, you know, down here on the St. Helena Valley for say three weeks before I pick, you know, the Cabernet up at our Cold Springs vineyard, which is where I filmed that video. I mean, I had to like look hard to find color to do the video for you yesterday. Um, so 
but down here we're, you know, we're, we're hundred percent on the Valley floor. So that's and amazing. It, it's a huge indication. The point at which they change color is a really important date for winemakers because we track the number of days between veration and harvest. And we know you get to know your site, but sometimes it's in a warmer site, it might be 55 or 56 days, but in a, in a cooler site that might slow down and it might be 60 or 65 days from veration to harvest. So it gives us this like date to, to think about for when. And, we're when, and when do you start the counting? Because you're right, there's, there's, you know, you could have six clusters and it looks like four of them are full, but two of them are 60%, you know, through veration. When do you start the clock? Great, great question. Um, I say 50%. Okay because you turn pretty once you're at 50 percent it colors up pretty fast from 50 to 100 percent so you're talking about two or three days right depending on unless you get some cool weather pattern that comes through or a heat spike that'll push it through in you know in a day um, so i say 50 percent is what i what i mark on my my calendar now is it okay and that i can appreciate and for everyone denise just dropped the link into the to Laura's Verasion video in the chat. So click on that afterwards. And I know on Facebook, Ivy's doing the same, but is it um, the, the aspect of Verasion, you measure days post 50%. And is it the same, like you said, 60 days or give or take, is it the same amount of time on the Valley floor to harvest? Not necessarily. I mean, I have two sites on Howell Mountain, um, and one is much warmer than the other, though they're at the same, about the same elevation. The climate is much warmer at our Croquet Vineyard than it is at our Cold Springs Vineyard. So I find that Croquet is a, it's a shorter range. It tends to be 56 to 58 days, whereas Cold Springs is more like 65. So I think in the cooler regions, you do see it take a little bit longer. Uh, and I would guess that on the valley floor here, it would be a, a shorter period. Right. That's yeah. fascinating. So, so that's, and then you chart all this and you document it and you keep track of it every year. And uh, yeah. very interesting time and a very nice little cycle of life, so to speak, with regard to the vineyard. Yeah. And that's where I get to geek out in my kind of math science world too. I can just do it all on the computer. <laughs> that's a good point. I'm sure there's an app for that now. Speaking of geeking out, we're going to launch a poll question. So, uh, and this actually has to do directly with you. So, all right, audience, uh, put the appetizers down. If you were not making wine, you would be absolutely doing something science related, pursuing your musical career at Juilliard in New York City, following your dream to compete on the Great Baking Bake Off, a Great British Bake Off. Now, don't answer yet. Not many people know some of these attributes that Laura has and these skills. I'm gonna give everybody, while I pour another glass of wine, five, four, three, two, one. Wanna guess what people said? Perhaps, I'd say people well, given the conversation so far, I'd say people are going to go down the science path for sure. You are correct. But yeah. we do have a, someone that is just, they believe you have a musical talent. Now, I actually just made that up because that would be something that would be 
If I, if I can't cycle, trust me, it will be a million years before I'm at Juilliard with any musical talent whatsoever. <laughs> um, so what would you be doing if, if you didn't have this winemaking passion that you have? Yeah. Well, I mean, science was my thing and I was good at it and I felt confident because I was good at it. Um, and I was really interested in making things. So actually the, 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 the British Bake Off kind of had me thinking like, oh, cooking, you know, the science, food science and cooking. And I like to make things from scratch, right? So whether it's, you know, pesto right now is what I'm making from scratch because I have basil growing like crazy. But anyway, I... I was really interested in coffee as well. So I thought maybe I wanted to get into the coffee business. And it's the same kind of concept though. So I feel like I was, I was headed down the same path regardless of what I chose. And that was to, to make a product um, from scratch and understand the pathway of how it gets from its raw materials to the finished product um, in a scientific way. That's really what I was interested in. Um, I remember- and they're saying once like to the family, like, do you see this wine? Like she made these from grapes. They were just grapes. <laughs> you know, so it's this, it's this process that really is very interesting to me. No, I think that's a great answer. And, I, and it is fascinating, uh, the, the process, uh, especially coffee, it's very similar in a lot of regards, uh, especially where it's grown, elevation. Is it a single source? Is it a blend? I mean, it, there's really a lot of overlap there. So if you do start that, let us know, because we're huge coffee fans. Okay. Well, we have, uh, uh, we have a new director of operations who who's came from the coffee business. So it's been really fun to, to elevate the coffee uh, knowledge and quality in the office. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That is a nice perk to have. So the, the, the portfolio you have is pretty diverse. Walk us through kind of, because you mentioned it early on, Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay, Rieslings, Gewurz, you know, a lot of Cabernets, a lot of some great Zins, Pinot Noir. So how do you keep track of it all? What's the mission? What's the goal? And, and, and the passion, both from Gary and Kit and kind of yourself when you guys all sit down at the table to, to orchestrate all that? Yeah. Um, well, I think my goal is, you know, so to be a full-time winemaker for a small producer that makes about 10,000 cases, it's a, it's a pretty small, um, it's pretty small production, but it keeps me very, very, very busy because I'm making anywhere between 13 and 15 different wines every year. So, and it's not just 13 single vineyard Cabernets. It's the difference between how to make a rosé from Grenache that's grown in Mendocino to a Gewurztraminer, a dry Gewurztraminer that's grown on the you know, more coastal, cooler side of Mendocino. So there's a lot of variation in the product. Um, and let, let, me, let me interrupt uh, before the yeah. variation. When you say a dry Gewurztraminer, what do, you, what do you mean as a dry Gewurztraminer? Just for people that are curious what that phrase is. I mean, not sweet. So, so not that... Not that cloying sweetness of Gewürztraminer that we grew up with here in the Midwest when you open up the refrigerator and there's that bottle of Blue Nun. Not that. Not that. Not that. And not a dessert wine and not a, you know, a table wine that has, you know, a, a, a very high level of sweetness. It's, it's dry in the sense that it is not sweet. It's a, it's a um, dry table wine. Well, I, I'm thrilled that you guys actually do that because I, I think it's an unheralded grape in the United States. And, and the complexity of Gewurz and some of the Rieslings is mind-bending 
pleasing from that standpoint. And, and I'm, I'm glad you guys are doing that. So I interrupted, I apologize. That's okay, that's okay. It's a great segue because I think, you know, making a Gewurztraminer is completely different than making a Sauvignon Blanc or a Chardonnay. So I had to figure that out and it was a lot of tasting. We did a lot of group blind tasting where we decided what we liked and what we didn't like. And of course, you know, my personal preference gets thrown in there and the style of wine that Kitten Dairy like to drink and the style of wine that is meant for our customer base and, and food and wine pairings. There's a lot to consider in developing wine style for Cliff Family Winery. It's not just what I like to make or what I like to drink. Um, so, but my mission is to, to do everything really, really well. I mean, I want someone to come into the tasting room and taste six different varietals that you know, are completely different and say, wow, I love all of them. Um, and that's obviously really hard. And I will continue to work to achieve that for, a, you know, forever, because I don't, you know, I think there's always room for improvement. But right. uh, uh, so the, the, the diversity of our portfolio very much is, uh, makes my job so much more fun and interesting. It makes it a lot of fun for chef and for the tasting room staff to um, present to guests and, and pair with food and wine. And um, I think overall my style is, uh, for white wines, I would say I, I like very clean, um, crisp, food-friendly whites that are very varietally characteristic. Um, not, not a lot of influence from additives or weird, quirky fermentation things, just really fruit-driven whites. And then your reds? And then on the red winemaking side, it's really about balance and flavor and tannin and ripeness. So making sure that these grapes are, are, are ripe so that we have um, great flavor development, um, good mid-palate, and well-balanced tannin because ripeness and tannin go hand in hand. So on Powell Mountain, it's, it's, it's challenging. It's really important. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, that mountain fruit, you're always on that knife's edge of... Uh, utter collapse and perfection. Just wonderful balance there that I'm sure is a little bit white knuckled tear. Definitely. And that's why I love working with the Beatty Ranch and the Zinfandel that everyone's drinking tonight because, you know, it, it's not it's not like that at that vineyard. It's like I said, it's very easy to make and the acid stays, stays with the fruit. Um, so I'm not worried about losing all that acidity. Um, and it has so much depth of flavor just from the age of the vines and the balance that those old vines carry. Um, it, it almost makes itself on the vine. It's a great sight. By the way, there's a, uh, a young lady named Lydia Maldonado on Facebook who says hello. Wonderful, Lydia. <laughs> uh, and Laura, you have a request to geek out a little bit on the wine process that you follow and the blend of science and, and art and and how do you how do you balance that blend of science and art? Yeah, so I mean the decision to harvest is is the most critical piece of winemaking. So when to pick those grapes. Um, and that is a very delicate balance between science and art. So I watch the numbers early in the season mainly because I'm looking for a pattern and a trend. I literally graph like my, my sugar over time and my sugar accumulation over time so that, and that's just, that's just so that I can predict the harvest date because working, you know, working in the wine business, it gets 
really, really busy during harvest season and to make sure that you have a tank and a truck and picking bins and staff. And, um, you know, there's a lot of logistics that goes into planning your harvest date. So if I can predict that, then that's awesome. But once the numbers get to a certain point, especially in red wine making, then it becomes a lot about just flavor. So then you're tasting and it's more than just flavor. It's a feeling. You walk through the vineyards. It's really hard to explain, but you walk down those rows and whether you're seeing some yellowing leaves or you taste the seeds and you just get that special kind of mascarpone-like flavor that comes from a really, really ripe seed or, you know, you see the weather report or it's just, it's, it's so much of a, of a sensation where you say, okay, like, all right, it's ready. It's ready right now. And that's intuition um, and experience and very much art and feeling and emotion. Whereas the tracking that I'm doing in the graphing of the bricks over time is, is the geeky science stuff that I do just because it's in, it's my human nature. <laughs> um, it's interesting. The way you described that, at, the way you described that was, was phenomenal. I mean, the hair in the back of my neck went up because to be able to walk through the vineyards and get kind of that mystical sensation of, okay, and you're looking at different clues from mother nature and, you, you know, maybe it's a little cooler that night. So, you know, the seasons are changing and, and you get all of those factors in and then you're balancing that with the science. I mean, that is absolutely, uh, I, I think, really cool and very special to determine, okay, we need to pick, we need to pick right now. And then balancing that with 13 other varietals and making certain that you have the staff, you have the bins, you have the tanks, you have all of that. That has got to be a little bit of nerve wracking. It is, because imagine having that feeling and you know that you know that it's time and then the winery says, oh, sorry, we can't fit you in for six more days. And they're like, oh, no. Oh, yeah. That's not good. <laughs> yeah, it takes some, it takes some, but, which is why the early planning helps, because then if you, if you, if they, if those two things coincide, then you've, you've done, you've done the magic. <laughs> that is, yeah, nerves of steel. All right, I'm going to ask the audience, poll the audience, I didn't coin the phrase, the, the second question. So, uh, this is one that I think is interesting. Three words that describe Cliff Family Wine are efficient technology scalability, organic sustainability community, better, cheaper, faster. That's going to be 100% for anyone who's been listening. You know our audience well. Okay, we're going to give this five, four, three, two. Do not bet, ladies and gentlemen, against this young lady. 100%. And it actually kind of goes with the five philosophies that you were talking about with regards to Kit and Cliff Barr. Uh, but we haven't talked a lot about kind of the vineyards that you source from and, and the organic sustainability so, so walk us through kind of that overall mission and, and it's one thing to say it, but it's another thing to do it and actually have it manifest throughout the entire organization and especially in the glass at the end of the day. So educate us on that. Yes. So organic farming is a top priority at Cliff Family Winery. Everything that we own and farm ourselves is certified, CCOF certified organic, and we would have it no other way. There's absolutely no exception. Um, and that at this point in time makes up about 52% of our portfolio. 
so the grapes that we purchase, so the other half, we purchase these grapes from grower partners. Um, and I work to uh, source those, those places and um, to establish the relationships and guide them through the, you know, our farming expectations. Um, and grower partners are, uh, some of them are willing to farm organically and many of them are not. Um, it's really hard to convince someone that's been farming their land for 30 years that there's a different, better way out there that might cost them more money. So that's, it's really hard um, to talk someone into that, which I think is okay. Uh, but it's not the way that we want to do it. Right. Uh, so uh, a year and a half ago, I'd say, maybe almost two years now, um, as a business, we were watching in the news a lot of these um, growers that, like, for example, um, I think we talked earlier about Stagecoach was an example of this amazing vineyard up on Atlas Peak that, that sells to, like, 90 different wineries, and, and they sold. Um, and not to say that they were no longer selling to these wineries, but those relationships are at risk when a vineyard like that gets gobbled up by one of the large wine corporations. Yeah, um, no, the, the, many of the Cellar Angels loyalists are very familiar with Stagecoach and the passion that the small producer lost basically because of that acquisition by Gallo. Mm -hmm. So if you have a Cabernet program built around that vineyard and then all of a sudden you lose your vineyard source, you're, you're in big trouble. Um, so when we talk about, we, we use the word sustainability all the time in our business. And I said, listen, if we, if we need, the best thing we can do to sustain our business is we need a vineyard. And we don't need a, another five, three acres here or five acres here. We need 40 acres. And I said Oak Knoll because I felt that the diversity of our wine portfolio was very well matched to the diversity of Oak Knoll, um, the Oak Knoll AVA as a growing region. You see Riesling, Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay, Cabernet, Zinfandel, it's all there. And a lot of people doing it really, really well. So as it turns out, about a year later, we purchased 40 acres um, of vacant land, which is also very hard to come by in the Napa Valley, um, in the, the, the heart of the Oak Knoll District. Um, and we planted it to eight different varietals, uh, both red and white. Um, and then shortly thereafter, the parcel next to us came up for sale. So we purchased that as well. It was just newly planted. So we now have 80 acres, which is soon to be certified organic um, grapes that a lot of our program will move into. Um, and at that point, we will be almost 75% um, CCOF certified organic grape material, which will be a huge accomplishment. Martin, I think you went on mute. I can't hear you. I did. Are the, the Cabernets that you produce, uh, Bill Best, who is mocking me for being unable to ride and wants me to get an e-bicycle, is an enormous fan of your Cabernets. And, and I echo his passion for them because they're spectacular. Are they estate fruit or are they vines that you, 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 know, you purchase or grapes that you purchase? And then how old are the vines? So all of our Cabernet is 100% estate on Howl Mountain, certified organic, organically farmed. Um, we purchased first Cold Springs Vineyard, and I want to say that was right around 2010, and those vines I think were planted uh, 2006. And the Croquet Vineyard we purchased a year later, and those were also planted in 2006. Um, so 
at the point where they're producing well, they're well-established, well-balanced vines with some, some good age on them. Uh, and I think it's, it's interesting, and Jeff Greasy has a question on the properties up on Hollow Mountain. He sees two of them, Jeff and Jane, uh, one further north and one further south. What are you growing up there? And is there a difference between uh, the vineyards? And, but I want, I, before you answer that, because I, I know you know the difference between the vineyards, uh, I, I think Howell Mountain is fascinating, and I wish more people would go up there when they get out to the valley, because, you know, you start driving up there, and people don't realize just how diverse it is back there, and you go through Angwin, and then you just start weaving around, and you, I mean, you can go all over, and it's very widespread up there, and you've got tremendous topography changes, and it's, you, you encounter these vineyards, you're like, holy cow, I didn't even know this was up here. And so get off the beaten path because Howell Mountain affords a great opportunity to do that. And so now I will let you answer Jeff and Jane about these two vineyards he found on a map. I agree. Uh, yes, so two vineyards, and thank you for pointing out that they're north and south because that's exactly how we describe them. We have one vineyard on the north side of the mountain um, and one vineyard on the south side of the mountain. Um, our Cold Springs Vineyard is more exposed to the Napa Valley weather patterns. Um, and that, though as an AVA, we generally sit above the fog levels. We don't have a ton of fog that gets up there. We still have the, the temperature influence of the fog sitting below us. So it is a much, much cooler site. Um, and that's the vineyard that is still almost 100% green at the moment and hasn't really even started creation. So on the opposite side of the mountain, so if you picture you drive up and over the top of the mountain and down the other side, sort of into uh, more of the Pope Valley area. Yep. If you were to keep going down Ink Grade Road, you would go right into Pope Valley, which is hot and dry. Um, so that weather influence, we have warmer nights and we have just overall higher daytime temperatures. In that vineyard, I harvest three weeks earlier. That's our croquet vineyard. And I, I harvest that three weeks earlier than Cold Springs. So there's a dramatic difference in, in, um, in climate. And the soils, the soils vary on Hell Mountain. Everything's volcanic up there, but you can get this like almost just decomposed ash and it literally is like powder and dust. When you step into it, it makes a big, you know, poof of smoke um, or, or of dust. And then there's a little bit more of that like iron rich kind of red, a little more clay based, which is Aiken loam. So we have those two different soils and the, the Aiken loam is at croquet. So you can imagine it has more nutrient capacity and more water holding capacity. Um, so I can hold a little more crop over there, but then at Cold Springs Vineyard, um, it's, uh, you know, the water runs straight through it. It doesn't hold any nutrients. Those, those berries super duper small and, and I have less grapes, less fruit. Interesting. Totally different wines. Totally different and totally different uh, soils because you're right, I've, I've heard it described that way uh, with regards to the footprint, almost as if you're stepping on the moon where it just puffs up right underneath the foot and, and goes over the edge of the shoe uh, and that's what you're planting in. That is where our Cold Springs vineyards are. Yes, yes. But the new vineyards are in Oak Knoll, which is the valley floor. Are you excited about that? Completely, completely. Because then we have 100% we have control over everything from start to finish. And that is amazing. And um, the decisions that we can make uh, from the field all the way to sales and marketing, I mean, it's, it's just, it's an amazing opportunity to, um, 
to have complete control from grape to bottle. Well, and, th and I think it's fascinating, a couple points on that, where I'm stunned that you purchased 80 acres. Because to your point, usually these little parcels and these blocks come up and they're three acres or five acres or maybe 10 acres. And you're talking about Oak Knoll. So this is not exactly undiscovered real estate right there. And to have 80 acres come up is, is mind boggling. And I'm excited for you. And I'm curious as a, as a follow up, when do you think wine from that property will actually be in the bottle? What year? Well, um, we will get grapes next year, 2021. So if you're talking about Sauvignon Blanc, it'll be, uh, it'll be February or March of 2022. Okay. Okay, so, uh, but that's just the whites. Um, reds are gonna be a little further out, uh, obviously because, um, you know, that first vintage of, of reds, um, sometimes it makes it into the blend, and sometimes it doesn't. So there'll be some grace period where I'll have some overlap and I might slowly start blending in the new fruit into, into the old. But uh, just for the record, um, the Howell Mountain Cabs will remain Howell Mountain. Those wines uh, will always be up on, you know, Howell Mountain Appellated, the, the, the single vineyard um, offerings. Um, but we intend to do a lot of really cool and interesting, fun things. We planted some Mel back. We have some Cap Funk, which I may or may not use as blenders um, for the How Mountain. Sure. And, uh, you know, so there's, there's a lot of opportunity for some really interesting projects and, and different wines. Well, that, I mean, 80 acres is just blows my mind. And I'm excited as heck for you to be able to have that canvas to just create and, and you know, pick and choose, which is pretty kind of cool. Uh, I do want to launch one last poll question because I think this is for extra credit because uh, so far there's only two people that have gotten both questions right and it has to do with the 2017. So your ideal food pairing item with the 2017 Zivendel is grass-fed burger with organic portobello mushrooms and cheddar cheese organic baby back ribs with a smoky and hot sauce from the tasty room or from a smoker and a hot sauce, uh, lasagna with a red meat sauce and baby arugula salad, or you can alter your own. I'd be curious uh, because this Zim, like you said, is big. So I'll let people answer and see what they say. Um, Right, we, have, we have a wide variety of answers. That's a tough one because those are three really good choices. All right, five, four, three, two, one. The folks believe that the lasagna. Oh, okay. I would never have guessed that. Huh. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, if you're ready for my answer, <laughs> uh, absolutely. Let's see okay. what you got. If we were in the dead of winter right now, lasagna would definitely be my answer because it's a comfort food and a comfort wine. Um, but because it's barbecue season, I have to go, I mean, I'm, I'm going back and forth between the ribs and the burger and I'm gonna have to go with the burger just because I think it's, it's really all about, this wine is all about barbecue right now. So really anything you wanna put on the barbecue, because it's a Zinfandel and it's a little bit lighter, it could even be like, grilled shrimp with a, a spicy sauce would be amazing 
that would be nice. Or it would live up to a steak. And that's the beauty of this wine is it's versatile enough. But I think anything on the barbecue um, is going to pair really well. But when you said the grass-fed burger with the cheddar cheese and the portobello mushrooms, like there's that umami and savory piece with the cheesy mushrooms, it's that definitely that's my answer. I just talk myself through it. We have a late switch in the answer. I like it. Um, <laughs> and since we're not in the dead of winter, lasagna's off. Um, right. But, but I agree with you. That would, that would be fantastic. I'm thinking there might be a sample plate at the uh, truck here to have maybe two ribs and some sliders to pair with this Zinfandel. And, um, and, yeah, we'll make a, a, a decision that way. That's a great idea. I hope Chef is watching. He can <laughs> exactly. <tomorrow. laughs> uh, I want to uh, give a shout out to Kim, who has stayed with us the entire time, and that's fantastic. I think she's actually doing some research because she a little nervous about being on camera. She shouldn't okay. be. Because she makes fantastic Pinot Noir. But again, just real quick, uh, everybody, you can get the tasting kits online. Uh, next week, we have the wonderful Sue McNerney, who produces just exquisite Cabernet from a, a one-acre vineyard block in Coombsville, and that gets tremendous critical acclaim, so we're looking forward to that. Uh, just some housekeeping notes. Uh, we still have no wardrobe sponsor, so uh, this is just my own clothing. We're looking for a sponsor. That sort of is troubling after 20 weeks that I still resorted to wardrobe in my closet. Uh, we did put someone out of business because we mocked them. Uh, well, they filed for bankruptcy. They'll be back. Uh, we're still seeking introductions to uh, Tim Ferriss, Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, and Carmelo Anthony. And someone is telling me that we'd also like to uh, Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban, we should talk to with Mark Cuban. So, Laura, if you have any inroads to any of those nondescript <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, that would be fantastic. I might Anybody? be able to get you a nice Cliff Bar cycling jersey. I, I, I'll, take a, I'll take foot attire. I, I just want a wardrobe sponsor. <laughs> it, I, send me some swag. I will wear Cliff on camera even when we're talking with another winery. I am that simple. Um, so we're good there. Anything you want to leave the audience with regards to the, to the winery, the passion, the philosophy, the opportunity to come taste, uh, let us, tell me what you, what you have in your mind. Sure. Well, just thank you so much for joining and, um, you know, just being here and watching this is, uh, is, a, is a commitment in itself. So we appreciate that. And, um, and please visit us online. We have an amazing website, uh, clifffamily.com. Uh, if you are local and in the Napa Valley, we are hosting tastings. We have that beautiful patio uh, that we talked about earlier, and we're, we're having a lot of success even during these crazy times when the inside tasting room has to be shut down. But um, we're respectful and careful, and, um, and people are having a lot of fun on the patio this summer. Um, we also have an amazing wine club where, uh, you know, it's very unique in that um, because we have such a wide range of varietals, we're getting something different. Um, every shipment, we ship four times a year, and we also can incorporate our food products into the shipment, which is a really nice way to um, take that food and wine pairing into your own home. And we're doing a ton of virtual tastings. So just like this, um, set up with some of our hospitality staff or myself, we do corporate um, offerings as well. So we just have a lot of really fun uh, options right now. So I encourage you to uh, look us up. Um, 
and keep drinking and uh, keep uh, doing these Friday evening uh, Cellar Angels videos because these are awesome. Thank you. Yeah, and, and, and I'll highlight what Laura said because this is, it's so fascinating when you drive by in Santa Elena. I mean, they're right off of 29, so you cannot miss them, although I did for 11 years. But you need to get in there, just pull into the parking lot. What is behind the food truck is this beautiful outdoor patio tasting room area, which you can kind of see over here. Gorgeous. Uh, they have the sustainability mission. They've got the community mission. They have the organic mission. It's very authentic. It's everything you want to have. You want to sit down and relax. And Bill Best, if you will be so kind, I will go on a cycling tour with you there. Uh, I want everyone to be good to one another, uh, buy a lot of wine, because this is what it's all about, is, is helping these small, limited production wineries. And Laura, I can't thank you enough for taking some time out on a Friday during a pandemic. Uh, we'd be remiss without our humble appreciation for that. So thank you so much, and best to you and the family. And all of us hope we get to see you soon in the Valley. Thank you very much. Hope to see you all as well. You're Cheers. welcome. Cheers. Be good.